I'm sure you've read more memoirs than you're saying. I don't read a lot of nonfiction unless it's like historical. God, that sounds like worse. Sounds like the worst type of book. How do you, how do you learn things? Oh, I choose not to. (laughs) Oh, it's apparent. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Subscurity, the podcast about obscure subcultures. I'm Jordan. And I'm Brenna. And today we're talking about celebrity ghostwriters. You strike me as someone who's been ghosted. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, I think you're going to love my opening question. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell me about that experience? I'm just assuming that you have been. So I would like to, on that assumption, I would like you to tell me about that experience. At least one of the times. Isn't ghosting like primarily something that happens with like on like dating that happens like via an app or something? Uh, not necessarily. I think, yeah, it's become more synonymous with online dating, but basically it's someone just stops texting you. Like you think you have something going and they just stop. They ghost you. I, well, I've never online dated, so I don't. Well, let's pretend like that one other girlfriend you had before your wife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Got him. <laughs> um, did like, she just stop talking to you out of nowhere? Like, I mean, it's so the you same want me thing to applies. make a fantasy situation th- this. Yeah. Wait, so has no one ever ghosted you? Have you ever ghosted anybody? Oh, I'm sure I've ghosted. I mean, I'm from Seattle. Like it's, it's in the nature of the way people communicate here. Like that's the thing. I, I'm sure people have done it. I just, it's probably so commonplace. I can't even think about it. You know what I mean? Like, People around here, they have their very insular community of people. And when they uh, are given the option to branch out, oftentimes they will look for opportunities to not do those things. And if they have no uh, suitable excuse, they'll just stop replying <laughs> and drop off the base stairs. Actually, I do have an example. Oh, thank God. I was like, I'm going to have to pull out the I backup was like, question that here. Was, I was <laughs> having a vamp there as I thought there. Um, I did ghost somebody very recently. And it's going to pay dividends, I'm sure, <laughs> in the near future. Um, my uh, my barber offered me tickets to a local sports game, and I couldn't go. But then um, she kept, like, offering me, t- like, she ha- she has, like, season tickets. And so she kept offering me tickets. And then finally I told her, oh, I can't go to that one. I'm, I will be at the game. She said, oh, well, let's meet up. And then I never replied. <laughs> because i didn't want to not because i have a problem with her but it's like i was going to be with there with my friends and stuff i just wanted to hang out with them and so completely ghosted and i need a haircut as you can see mm-hmm. so i guess i gotta find a new barber does that answer your question kind of yeah i'll take it that works that that fits the description why didn't you just say, like i don't get this about you people like you why- people says yeah you, you mean this because you're from new england where everyone says everything you're thinking outwardly with aggression so that everyone knows exactly how they feel well like i don't ghost people like even if i don't want to do something i'm just like oh i don't know if i'll be able to but i'll let you know or something like more or more direct than that if i was in your position um i probably would have just said i don't want to no, I probably would have said it more gently. Like, no, <laughs> I'll be with my friends and not sure what the day will look like, but text me and we'll try. You know what I think? No, I, I agree. It's a cultural thing. Like I started by saying that, right? Like it's definitely a cultural thing and people in the Northwest especially have this. And, and I, I include myself among that have this kind of like fear of intrapersonal conflict. I think that 
drives people away from like having honest conversations. But I also think some of it comes from the nature of communicating via like instant messages and texts and stuff, because it's hard to convey tone, you know, and it's hard to like, I think it's hard to convey, especially people you don't communicate with regularly, kind of like how, how it's coming across. Like, like just thinking like to your point, like what you were just saying, right. It's hard for me to, it's hard for me to think how I would say that in a way that comes across as like, Hey, that's really off. I mean, I guess I just saying it right now, but like, Hey, it's really nice to offer, but I'd rather just hang out with my friends. Right. Like how do I get that in a tone without lying? I think anything's better than just not responding to someone. So you're so worried about conflict or, you know, disappointing someone. There's no conflict. (laughs) Yeah. But it's just more disappointing. I think that's a way worse feeling. Yeah, I can see that. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that is, it is, it is a selfish way of handling that situation because you don't have to then take that step to like disappoint someone else. You just kind of you are active. You are active, but you don't have to be. You don't have to like. You don't have to take ownership of it. Exactly. You don't have to voice it. Right. Pussy. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot stand passivity like at all. It makes no logical, practical sense, and I'm pretty sure like psychologists and therapists would also say like conflict is healthy and be able to being able to express your honest opinions is healthy. And yes, there's a tactful way of doing it, but lying or just, you know, not saying anything is not it. If you have other questions for Dr. Brenna, <laughs> please give us a call. Our number is, what are we talking about today, Brenna? So it's, uh, Along the line of ghosts, but probably not the, <laughs> not exactly where I was going with ghosting. Uh, but today I want to talk to you about celebrity ghost writers. What? <laughs> <laughs> Worst segue ever. <laughs> <laughs> My other question for you was going to be along like celebrities. Cause I know you hate celebrity gossip. You could not give yeah. two shits, but I just thought I really wanted to, I thought it'd be funny to say you've been ghosted, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so this opener was really just a way to try to get a dig on me. Got it. Correct. Yeah. No. And, and that makes sense. I can see like, like you were saying, you have a healthy way of interacting with people that every psychologist would definitely recommend other people follow. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know where I stand. I think you're a giant loser. (laughs) And I think it's healthy. I can't wait for this. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's healthy that I tell you that at least, at least once an interaction. Yeah. I would definitely describe this friendship as healthy. Lest you forget it. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're a giant nerd. Um, so a ghostwriter, for those who don't know, just, you know, textbook definition here is someone who's hired to write a literary or journalistic work, speech, or other text that is officially credited to another person as an author. Or as I would think about it, especially in reference to previous episodes, autobiographical fan fiction. (laughs) Sure. I mean, I think it's a fair, fair way of describing that. Kinda. I mean... I'll give it to you. I don't (laughs) back on track, back on track, (laughs) distracting me from my point. Yes. Um, so really in particular, the ghostwriting I want to talk about is ghostwriting for celebrities or politicians, really anyone kind of in the limelight. Yes. So, um, I guess just a little bit of background as to how it works. You might think it's as straightforward as like if you were to write me, for example, from if I asked you to ghostwrite my memoir. My my pleasure. (laughs) How do you think you'd go about that? Uh, You know, well, if I was to do someone else, right, I would start by researching kind of details of your life from friends and family. I would ask them lots of questions and kind of your interactions. I would try to see if you had any 
journals or diaries or, you know, things that kind of your had collections of your personal thoughts. Now, obviously I wouldn't just distill them publicly, uh, but, you know, try to do that to capture you as a person and so that I could capture your voice while writing it. Um, now that's again for like this random person for you. I don't need any of that <laughs> because I have a very specific version of Brenna that exists in my head and I feel I could, um, write her biography, uh, with, without any additional resources or primary sources of any sort. Like I I've got this bold of you to say, Jordan. <laughs> bold of you to say. Um, so I want to touch on that a little bit because it might seem pretty straightforward that you just interview the person, talk, talk to people about their lives. And yes, you want to get their story and their life across, but really the key thing is doing so in a way that conveys their voice. So it sounds like they are the one who's written it. Um, so especially for memoirs in particular, that's kind of where I'm honing in. Um, one ghostwriter said, you really have to have advanced listening skills and the way she put it, you have to really hear them, not just what they say, but what message they're trying to get across. You can't bring any ego into this or you'll miss it. And she will watch, you know, videos, TV shows. She'll pay careful attention to their phrasing, verbal text, cadence, vocabulary. Like, do they use big words or not really? Um, and she says, at least for herself, when she is writing a memoir on behalf of someone else, that it helps her to read aloud in their voice to see if it's coming across, um, in a way that resonates with her. Like if I was writing you, I would be like, oh, I love Star Wars. And like, that would really resonate because that's your voice. <laughs> hey, is this like... Did you set this episode up not to really cover the topic and just to try to get as many dunks on me as possible? No, that was just an ad lib that yeah. just felt like it fit in the moment. Yeah. That was just an organic gotcha. Like I said, I have a very strong idea of the Brenna in my head that I don't I don't need anything else to capture this. But no, I, I hear what they're saying, though. That makes sense for the random normal people. Yes. Um, and another ghostwriter said he actually records all his conversations and he has a whole basement filled with cassette tapes and he'll just play them back to really internalize and hear someone's voice, right? And how they, you know, have their speech patterns, sentence structures, what jokes they tell, and then, you know, how do you organize that into a story? I would, I guess my first question is, I would assume most famous people's uh, autobiographies or books or whatever are ghostwritten. Like I can think of one major one that I know is not, but I would guess that almost every other one is. Which one isn't? Barack Obama's Dreams of My Father. And Correct. His, what, the Vastity of Hope or whatever the sequel was. Yeah. Yeah. He wrote his. Didn't Michelle Obama write hers as well? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know. I haven't read that one. But Dreams of My Father is amazing literature. Like it is, I mean, I guess not literature, but it is an amazing book. It is extremely well written. Uh, and I recommend it to anybody. It is a really, really good read. But in it, it, you can tell it's written by Obama, just like every little. That's what you think, though, because think about his, you know, eight years in presidency. You think you know him, right? But probably every speech he ever gave, minus maybe one or two, was written by a ghostwriter. So, well, they're not. I mean, the they're whole... not ghosts, though. Like everyone, I think they half of them have podcasts now john favreau and True. and the others right like they're 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 public figures but they even like in their accounts of it they'll talk about the parts that he specifically would input and insert and make sure that like it was his voice coming through in his words but yeah i can see what you're saying that like a, a quality ghostwriter 
It, if you're good at ghostwriting, you're not being, you don't know that it's a ghostwriter, right? Exactly. That's the whole point. So you're like, it's his words. And, you know, a couple of the articles I read when a celebrity is kind of reading it back, it's like, yeah, it's just like I wrote it myself or oh, wow, I was really blown away. It's as if I had written my own novel, um, which people think they do. Yeah. So yeah, I think the whole point, if you're a good ghostwriter, you could say something like that. Oh, it just, it sounds just like him. And I get that. That's what people know and have come to learn and have come to expect. But at the same time, a good ghostwriter could trick you. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And uh, credit to the ghostwriter, but also what a narcissistic thing to say. If you're like a celebrity that's like, oh, I, I feel like I wrote this. No, you didn't. You don't know how to write clearly. <laughs> oh, it's pretty, yeah, it's yeah. pretty entertaining just kind of how clandestine it is and um, how, yeah, people really don't come out. And it's more, uh, more books, to your point, are ghost written than you would expect and um one of the literary agents for ghost writers like two years ago she estimated that around 60 percent of nonfiction books are ghost written and the way she put it is you know because celebrities can sell books but they doesn't mean they can write them so 60 percent of nonfiction, like i'm not understanding that 60 percent of all nonfiction, or 60 percent of nonfiction biographies she said nonfiction bestsellers i oh, kind of assume because they're all like oftentimes yeah. it's going to be a famous person's memoir right because yeah. who who's reading a world war one uh historical account <laughs> like enough people uh, but not enough to make but not enough to bestseller. be on yeah new york times bestseller list or whatever yeah that makes sense okay so the other thing is you know kind of 10 years ago it was definitely like this clandestine secretive thing and um madeline morell that literary agent i just mentioned the way she put it she was like you know it definitely used to have a sort of dirty name the same way as online dating used to have a dirty name so if you were a ghostwriter you'd maybe tell your best friend on pain of death never to tell anyone else because it was just that kind of secretive and unusual. And I can, I like that analogy because I remember when online dating first started, a lot of people would lie. They wouldn't say I met someone online or it would be really begrudging. They admitted to being online and the apps. And now it's like, if if you're not on the apps or if you're not online, it's very unusual. It's just so much more commonplace. Yeah. I have two comments. That one is I, I met a lot of people online in like, my like late high school early college years like just from like rooms yeah and like online games and stuff like it was like um yeah like y- you would meet people virtually but it was before that was a thing really like right and so when i'm you know when i would meet them in person yeah it was always weird talking to people it's like oh yeah i met this person playing return to castle wolfenstein <laughs> so <laughs> to, you would actually meet these I people met them, in person yeah in person yeah i and i i went to uh, one of their weddings, in fact, um, in Boston. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I flew across the country when I was a, I think it was Stone college, um, to go to that wedding, um, for, for this guy that I met and became really good friends with. So, um, which I'm, I, mean, I haven't kind of lost contact in the last couple of years, but like, it was definitely kind of a weird thing to before the, like the rise of the Tinder, um, mm-hmm. and, and like just the way you talk to people now, right? Like that Tinder, but like the way you talk to people and like, it, cause it was like, Oh, you met some person online. Like you're not sure. You're sure you're not talking like a pedophile or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, it reminds me of like my friends and I, when we were like, I don't know, 12 and AIM was kind of at its peak, we would go into like those online chat rooms and, you yeah. know, someone would be like ASL, ASL 14 yeah. female, California, everyone, <laughs> we, would, <laughs> we would like, 
oh, we would like pretend to, we would find those images of like hot girls online. And yeah. 20. Yeah. We would just catfish. Men. Yeah. yeah. We would catfish men because it was hilarious. You're just like, what loser? Yeah. If you, I mean, it, uh, it's like, I'm sure mo- like most people listen to this kind of remember that time. But like, if you don't, like, there's a Friends episode where, because everything I know is in relation to TV references, but like, there's a Friend episode where Chandler is online messaging with a girl on his laptop and just the way everyone kind of talks about it. Like you, it's just, it's so funny cause it's, it's still nineties era. Right. Yeah. Like, and, and you can kind of see that like how big of a difference it is just like 20, 30 years ago versus, Oh my God, 30 years ago, <laughs> but 25 years ago, but versus what it is today. Right. And, and yeah, that, that kind of like secret feel, I don't how did we get on this topic? Sorry. but Because there was a kind of a, a parallel metaphor to online dating it used to be very secretive and clandestine and now it's a little more accepted and especially right. out there. So my other, so the other thing I was going to say about this to get away from my personal stories, <laughs> uh, is do like, I've always had that same impression, which is go straight into me has seemed like a, I don't know the way to say it, but it, it it's, not a glamorous writing position. Like there are like certain, there's like certain kind of authors that you really respect or certain kinds of, um, genre writers that you might respect. Right. But then there are other ones where you just kind of look down on it. Right. Mm. Like certain kinds of, if you're writing, if you're doing screenwriting for the CW, like who gives a crap, right? Like that's not something you might take a lot of pride in, I guess what I'm trying to say. Right. And so I've always had this kind of impression that ghostwriting was kind of perceived like that within the writing community. Not that I feel that way, but just like that writers might kind of look down on each other. And am I hearing you correctly in that they kind of would try to hide it from that perspective? Like they didn't want it kind of well known because it, it was kind of a, almost like an embarrassing thing to be seen as a ghostwriter. No, more really more the opposite. I would say I read quite a few stories from ghostwriters themselves and none of them felt that way. At least that's not what was conveyed. A lot of them said they really liked it for kind of a, a different reason than what you described, because rather than being pigeonholed into one genre, they get to take on a new persona, a new mm. voice. There's someone different every single time. And one of the ghostwriters, she said she was actually getting to the point in her writing career because she wasn't uh, ghostwriting originally. She was at the point where she felt tapped out of her own kind of writing and it gave her this new life in terms of, you know, being an author because it just gave her a new lens to write through. So a lot of them really like it and they love the the anonymity. It's not embarrassing amongst writers. It's more so the secret still exists that oftentimes Mm. they sign NDAs so they can't say like some are well known like uh, Trump, Hillary Clinton, Biden, they all used ghostwriters. So many people are public, but a lot have NDAs and like you, you, you don't know that they have a ghostwriter, but it's safe to assume more likely than not, a celebrity has a ghostwriter. Right. That's always kind of what I assume. And it's actually one of the reasons why, like, I haven't ever cared to read any, like, celebrity or politician's book. And I don't... You read it, Obama's, though. But but because I knew that one was written by him, right? Yeah. Like, knowing that reading X person's book, it's not really their words. Yeah. Right? Like, it's always... It's felt... It's felt wrong. Like... And I don't mean to say that like it's there isn't value to seeing someone else's uh, 
perspective on a person. Like I think the social network is an amazing movie. I don't think it at all is accurate to Mark Zuckerberg. And I, I think in Mark Zuckerberg is much worse than that movie portrays, but I don't think the version of Mark Zuckerberg in the social network is, is very accurate, but right, I, th- but did he get interviewed for it? Like, did no, he learn his person? This is different than I think a lot of times with doc, not documentaries, but movies, um, kind of memoirs in someone's life they might not be consulted on it whereas uh a memoir they're working in tandem so right. it's really it is their vo- it's it's their story and told in their voice vis-a-vis another person because the way they put it is you know you could have a really smart person a really captivating person and they just might might not be a good writer yeah. and that's what the person is there for to kind of help organize the thoughts and just convey what they're trying to say yeah, no, I, I totally get that. What I'm what I'm trying to say is I find value in a writer writing about something from a third-person perspective. I find value in the social network because I don't think Aaron Sorkin is trying to take a picture. I think he's trying to paint a painting, right? Like, I think he's... that. Those are like, that's how he describes it, and I agree with it. Like, it is a... He is taking broad brush strokes to describe Mark Zuckerberg and show him as a person, even if it doesn't match exactly the person that he is in real life, Right. I think where I have a bigger challenge, and maybe this is just because I'm a snobby person who like would rather see someone's poor attempts at writing than than um, than how it's uh, like a ghostwriter might clean it up, right? Mm-hmm. But like I, it just feels like a, a layer of it deception. Feels, well, it's not the deception. It's like it's like putting like a layer of paint over something like you're hiding some of the details because it's not coming through like you as a poor writer, that's part of who you are. Do you know what I mean? Like, but would you really like, I feel like if someone's a poor writer, I'm not going to want to read it depending no, on how I don't poor read it if it's a ghostwriter either. So, <laughs> so, so I, yeah, I guess that's fair. But like, I, I don't know, like I find it much, I would find it much more interesting to watch an interview with him. Right. than like Trump's autobiography and like, I, I hate to focus on him. Right. But like, I've read some of Art of the Deal and like excerts from it, right? Like, like of uh, course that has to be written by somebody right, else. hundred percent, right? But but that's the point, right? So even if it's conveying Trump's actual thoughts, and, it, and I'm I'm pretty sure that the ghostwriter, like he talked about a lot of interviews and experiences he had with Trump, whatever, to help create that book. Like it's not Trump, right? Like it's not actually him presenting this version of himself. So I think that's, that's think where that's a little different because Donald Trump is yeah, the league yeah, of that's the, that is the extreme. That's fair. Um, so anyway, a lo- back to kind of the main point. So it's a lot more accepted now. So it's actually a very prominent subgenre within publishing to the extent that publishing today is actually very much dependent on r- ghost writers. So they're a lot more accepted industry wide, but again, you just might not know who they yeah. are or who's used them. Um, is there like the same, are there like, uh, how much I said, are there people who are like well known that like do mint like, <laughs> is there like the Stephen King of ghostwriters? Like yes. people who get a lot of book deals kind of, and, and represent a lot of different people. Yes. Okay. I will get into some of those and, you know, just some examples of how important it was, especially say 10 years ago that people really say they wrote their own words. Uh, you know, Snooky Jersey Shore. Uh, I know the name. The little, the little one with the poof. Okay. She's loud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so far you've described yourself. 
<laughs> she <laughs> published a book in 2011 that became a New York Times bestseller, despite admitting that she had only ever read two books in her entire yeah. life. And when she appeared on the Today Show back in 2011, Matt Lauer asked her if, if she really wrote the book. And she said, I did. Because if you read it, you'll know the first page that I wrote it. Because, like, it's all my language. When pressed further, she admitted there was a co-writer. <laughs> yeah. So... But I mean, there's, there's kind of what I was talking about. Like I haven't read her book, but mm. does she, does the book talk like that? I'm sh- I'm sure. <laughs> I, Cause she's kind like, I mean, if you've seen the show, you'll know she's a yeah. bit of a an airhead yeah. and she says like all the time. And yeah, so I'm sure the author injected a lot more likes and turns of phrase that you wouldn't put in, you know, uh, a normal fiction book, right? Like that yeah. adheres to good writing standards, quote unquote. This is reminding me, um, many years back, uh, as a joke gif, I gave my wife, um, Kim Kardashian's selfie book, which is mostly just like Polaroids and Instagram selfies of herself, including like a whole middle section, which is just her taking nude pictures of herself. Uh, but there's, there's captions throughout it, you know? And like, asides and comments and stuff and so obviously that's all ghostwritten but you know what i mean like even yeah now even that something like that it, photos are even like yeah something right. like that a memoir exactly but i was just thinking like even that i remember now is written in the her style of speaking so yeah i i that has to be a challenge i can that's the thing like i imagine a lot of these ghostwriters the way you were describing them are very good writers yes. right like to be able to capture somebody um, somebody who's fully formed and not someone you're creating in your mind, right? Like that's difficult and requires a lot of empathy and requires a lot of ability to, um, really put yourself in some of those shoes to then have to, especially for people like Kim Kardashian or, um, Donald Trump or Snookum, Snooky, Snooky, Snookums, um, Snooky, like to then have to like manipulate your prose to match yeah, that dumb style it down, of speaking, basically. I think that would drive me insane. So full respect to them for being able to do that. Well, yeah, it goes back to what I was talking about at the very beginning. It really is so much more than just learning the story and who they are. It's really studying their speech patterns and how they speak so that you can replicate their voice. And another example, yes, those are two good ones between uh, the Kardashians and Snooki. But another one I read was about, you know, this guy wrote a memoir for a surfer guy. And what surfer guy? I don't remember that. It was a name I did not recognize. And I wasn't, it was also a name I couldn't pronounce. So I was like, we don't need to put that okay. in the notes. <laughs> um, Fair enough. But similarly, like again, generalizing like that surfer dude, but it's a different way of speaking than I assume, you know, uh, an English PhD. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that is interesting. Yeah. That would require, I, I think it would really enhance your ability to write fiction too. Like if you can start to learn how to like voice different types of characters, essentially, like it really opens up how you can express different characters, um, thoughts and speech patterns and whatever else. If you're writing something that isn't, uh, ghostwritten autobiography. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so for the next part, I, I have some stories directly from ghostwriters and their kind of firsthand accounts. Uh, and the first one I've chosen to highlight, she re- remained anonymous, so I don't know her name, uh, but she's 
written many high profile books and she just got into it. She said she fell into it. It started as a collaboration because a celebrity wanted to do a book about sex and needed help. Gwyneth Paltrow. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Who else? Actually, it could be, yeah, because it says, having already written an article about her in a mag- magazine, I became the logical choice. It could be Gwyneth Paltrow. I mean, it's her Cardi B, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> you think, does Car- did Cardi B write about sex? That's a good I mean, question. She the wrote real question is, all by herself, okay? <laughs> I can't. And Meg Thee Stallion. <laughs> Um, and she was the one who said that she was actually tapped out writing under her own name. So this was kind of like the welcome change in her career to start working on these projects collaboratively and writing in someone else's voice. And she says she dreams of ghostwriting for either Mark Hamill or Joan Jett. Joan Jett has turned her down like no thanks. And the reason she says Mark Hamill is just like she's not even that big of a Star Wars fan. But she's like, I just like to write about people from the 80s, which is when she grew up. Oh, I, mm, I, I feel like Mark Hamill would be a celebrity who would try to write his own book. He comes across that way. I hope that's true. Maybe. You don't know. <laughs> I was trying to think about it and I really have no inclination one way or the other. He's a, uh, I've, because I'm a huge nerd, nerd. I've seen a lot of his like, uh, appearances at like conventions and stuff. And he's the kind of guy, he's got that like old man style thing, you know, where, um, he'll like sit on a stool and be like, I'm just going to tell you stories of the old days when we made pictures, <laughs> you know, like he's, and he just likes to talk and like tell his stories. Wax and it's poetic. Yeah. And it's very, it's, it, it's very structured and it's very, it's very much like he's writing as he talks. So like, I feel like he would probably, it, I mean, he, maybe he would have a ghostwriter, but I feel like he would be heavily involved in that process, but I'd, I'd be interested in reading. Okay. That's one I would be interested in reading. Yeah. Um, so the next woman who is a ghostwriter, her name is Pollyanna Reed. She's now in her 30s. And at the time of the interview, uh, a couple of years ago, she was 29. She got started really, again, also by accidents. She started in freelance writing and stumbled into it because a mutual friend introduced her to a CEO in the finance industry who took an interest in what she did in her freelance writing career and the unconventional path she'd taken because she didn't major in English. I think she majored in like administrative studies or something. Um, And he needed assistance with like presentations, communications um, and the arrangement and flow of his public speeches. So he just kind of took a chance on her. It went really well. And from there she expanded her network base and, you know, her clients have now included professional athletes, CEOs and other celebrities, but she was one of the people who couldn't reveal names because she's signed so many NDAs. Yeah. That's, this is a lesson to all of you people out there who um, aren't privileged enough to have like mutual connections with high powerful CEOs. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter what you study or do. The people connections are going to get all the, all, all the wins. That's so true. If there's anything I've learned in life, it really is. It really is who, you know, it's not what you know. Yeah. And, uh, it's truer the older I get. God damn. <laughs> but also like, that's awesome for her. Yeah. Um, you know, a quote. <laughs> not, not to, not to take away all her success. <laughs> no. And obviously she's obviously very good at what she does. Um, but yeah, I think success begets more success. And if your network is other successful people, right. like, I don't know, on a smaller scale, you, I've had friends refer me a realtor. Right. right? <laughs> I imagine if I had a higher net worth social group of friends, I might have someone recommending, you know, a ghostwriter for me or 
Because that's what the world needs. <laughs> oh, but, I would write my own voice. Oh, I don't need a ghostwriter. No, I'm aware. You have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you, what else is this but an avenue to, to have other people like listen to you wax about yourself? Thank you. Wax poetic wax. about yourself. Not wax yourself. Wax myself. Well, I don't want to hear that or see that or anything <laughs> else about that. Uh, so back to Pollyanna. Uh, so her quote and just kind of how she summarized the work is she said, you know, one question I always get asked is, so people don't write their own shit. And the thing is, not everyone is a writer. There are people who are obviously extremely smart, but struggle to tra- translate their thoughts onto paper. That's where working with a ghostwriter can help to develop a person's voice and help communicate it clearly. Do you know what I think though? Like, I think that's all fair. I- I'm bought in. I think I, it goes back for me though to like, I don't care. <laughs> like I don't need 600 pages of like someone's history. You know what I mean? I, I guess I think the, the bigger thing is like what, like Barack Obama's right. I, I talked about, I mm-hmm. like that one, but that's because that's a story of a black man in America and, um, of the very unique path he took to be what he was. Right. And it was before he was famous when it was written, right? Mm-hmm. Like it, it wasn't about him, being the 2004 Democratic uh, the Speaker at the DNC it wasn't about candidate Senator Obama or candidate Obama or President Obama. It was about a, a man, a black man in America trying to like understand his connection to his um, his ancestry on his father. It's like his African father's right, side, right? Even though he grew up under white parents or white yeah. mother and stuff, right? So like that's an interesting story. And I don't mean to say that like nobody else has interesting stories, right? But like I feel like a so like it's kind of a dime a dozen thing now. It's like every famous person has to have an autobiography, and like what are they adding to the canon of literature <laughs> about people who are famous that is so unique or special or necessary for us to know? Well, it's, it's funny you say that because the next uh, ghostwriter, Dan Paisner, who's written ghost written over fifty books, including one for Denzel Washington, you know, it said he's often racing against the clock the to be specific the celebrity's 15 minutes of fame clock so he can take like two years to write a book but actually frequently he can crank out a book in two weeks because even to your you know to your point it is it's just i think the celebrity fascination and when i was doing the reading um you know snooki that article was from 10 years ago uh nicole richie 10 years ago i'm just like these people aren't you know they're still in the limelight a little bit but i don't think their their memoirs would go nearly as far in this day and age they released them when they were at the peak of their popularity and to your question about you don't really see what the appeal is i think it just varies for people like i agree barack obama's story is super inspiring trevor noah's story like Mm -hmm. he grew up um in africa please tell me he wrote his own I don't, I don't know. <laughs> now, like, again, I feel are, like he had to, but if, I feel like if you can write jokes, you can write books, but maybe <laughs> I, I would know. like to yeah. think so. Yeah. But she, that is one thing the anonymous, uh, ghostwriter said she actually likes working with stand up comedians. You would think they could write their own, but no. she likes working with them because she likes being able to laugh. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but I mean, yes, there are those more poignant, unique stories, but, I also really liked Untamed by Glennon Doyle. That was just a memoir. She's just a woman. It was more, I think that's a more personal story because she talks about her transition from divorcing her husband and then marrying a woman. And I don't think she ever like labels herself as like bisexual or pansexual because I don't, I don't know if she considers herself any kind of label necessarily. Um, but 
not only her experience between transitioning from a husband to a wife and her family dynamics, but just talking about what it's like being a woman in this world and how it's changed. Like that really resonated with me. And then for something on the more lighthearted side, like I used to really like Chelsea Handler and her very first memoir uh, was called My Horizontal Life. And it was just a memoir of like one night stands. Mm -hmm. Sure. It's not like any mind blowing, you know, piece of literature, but it was just funny. Something, sometimes you need like just kind of funny, easy read, lighthearted escapism. Yeah, no, and, and that all makes sense. I'm not saying, like, I think that's, there's, I think I can see the value in each one of those as you describe it, but, like, I don't, like. It's just not your interest, well, it, which no, is No, 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 it's not, those ones are fine. I, what I mean is, like, I don't know, Mark Warner, do I care that you have a book? Like, I'm assuming you have a book. Who's like, Mark Warner? Uh, the senator, uh, forget it. The <laughs> Exactly, right? Like, uh like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like everybody has to have a book. Like, it almost feels like, even the way you're talking about, like, uh, Snookums. Snooky. <laughs> Snookies and uh, Nicole Richie's and whoever else, right? Like, that's not to say, like, the that's not to send anything. That's not to say anything meaningful. That's to make money, right? Like, it's an advertising play. It's part of your brand appeal, right? A hundred percent. Like, this guy, Dan Paisner, he he said, you know, his works don't really have a very long shelf life. He said, really, a lot of the books are more merchandise than yeah. literature. And yes, it really is to exactly. expand the celebrity and capitalize on those 15 minutes of fame to make them as much money as possible. Yeah, so maybe... So I think that's, that's where I'm just like, mm, I don't get it. But I think for the, like, those other examples you're talking about, like, even, even the Chelsea Handler thing, yeah, like... I'm not, it's, that wouldn't be my thing, but I understand the appeal of like some random celebrities, funny book, a book of funny anecdotes, right? right like yeah. that totally makes sense. Right. Like, and, yeah. I, and I would read that even if it, even it was slightly told by a ghostwriter. Right. But yeah, for like random celebrities who just have to have a book because that's, uh, that's what you need to do as part of your compendium of <laughs> random merchandise, eh, whatever. Yeah. So the last ghostwriter I want to talk about, I think, is really interesting. Their name is Claire Rudy Foster. They're trans, so they use they, them pronouns. Um, And I think their story is really interesting because they reflected on how they got started and how their voice was heard differently when they were presenting as female versus when they were presenting as male and just um, kind of having their voice heard through someone else as the ghostwriter. So their first paid writing gig was for their boss, who was the CEO of like some green tech firm in Portland, Oregon. Um, And he would attend these exclusive and secret annual Winston Churchill galas, Mm. (laughs) which is just like the most obscure, like rich white guy thing I've ever heard, like an annual secret exclusive Winston Churchill gala. And the thing that they did every year was everybody had to, or whoever's turn it was based on whatever hierarchy in this exclusive club, you had to prepare a speech about Winston Churchill and you had to use Deliver his, in his voice. A, yep. And a quote that <laughs> no, a Winston Churchill quote that no one else had used in like the hundred year history of this kind of secret club. Wow. That's, I don't even know what to say to that, but I, I want to be in that club is the thing. I know it was like a 
one paragraph mention of how they got into ghostwriting. And I'm just like, I really need to know more about this annual Winston Churchill gala. And maybe that'll be something I research for a future subculture. I mean, yeah, I, Oh God, I would, I want, how do I get into it? Do you know? Is there, did, was any, like, I'm no, sorry to like to. hard pivot on this conversation here, but <laughs> I want into this so bad. So, uh, Claire, Rudy, they had to write their speech for their boss, Bill. Um, and they said the way they got into it was stop. They stopped trying to think of it as writing a speech and started imitating their best version of Bill. So they were no longer thinking, I just have to write a speech. I have to be this character. So again, kind of transforming that lens and changing your perspective of how you're writing, who you're writing for. Um, and so Claire goes on to say, I wrote a script for the character he wanted to play that night and it worked for the duration of my job with him. I wrote his emails, fundraising letters and other speeches. I mocked him to my friends, pitch perfect lines that could have come right out of his mouth. I said the things he hadn't thought of yet. Yeah, that's, I mean, it reminds me a lot of uh, John Favreau, John Lovett, the yeah. the now famous Pots of America guys, but like the the Barack Obama's speechwriters, right? Like they in, in interviews that I've seen with them, they talk a lot about like how much effort it goes in to try to like match every little aspect of Barack Obama's, not just like not just his policy positions, or not just his like there are no red states and blue states kind of outlook, but that specific thing about like cadence and how he speaks mm -hmm. and, and where like he would pause, where he would emphasize the, the types of riffs that he specifically would like and where it would, where it would fit in the flow. Right. Like right. that, I mean, that's, that's super interesting. Like you'd be, have to almost become the person <laughs> that, that you're imitating. It's, it's method acting, but applied to writing. Yep. And one thing I, you know, found interesting because Claire Rudy Foster, they wrote this article just about their experience as a ghostwriter. And again, like through the lens of transitioning from female to, to male and, um, kind of some studies they put out there was, and I kind of alluded to this actually in our last episode when I said it might be hard for a woman to negotiate with like six other men in that game diplomacy we were talking about just because I think it was so long ago there's I remember. kind of inherent that it you know you don't always get heard as a woman necessarily and when it's like one versus six I feel like it can dry out your voice even more but Claire said the exact same thing you know people don't listen to women's voices they you know studies show they hear that women are speaking but not necessarily the words they say I'm sure every woman has a story of saying something in a meeting at work two minutes later someone else says it and that person's like people are like, wow, good point. And you're like, didn't I just fucking say that? Like, <laughs> what the hell? Um, and research shows that voices with higher pitches, vocal fry, quote unquote, feminine vocal characteristics, uh, and gendered vocal tics, such as the repeated use of like are ignored. And over the past five decades, the fundamental frequency of a test group of women's voices dropped by 23 Hertz. Uh, which correlates with the women's entry into a previously male dominated workplace. So, um, haven't those studies also shown that like it's, that's universal, whether the audience is man or woman. Yeah. I think yeah. It, yeah. it's, it, which is, I mean, does, you know, still speaks to the, 
patriarchy, right? But yeah. like, but like, it is interesting to me that it, it w- women are are given themselves no slack on this, right? Like, it is it is dominated by the the way men talk and or the way the way men set the men set the standards and everyone follows it. Hmm. Yeah, sure. But like, I think that's I could go in a complete tangent on that. But I think yeah, women are not immune to you know, perpetuating sexism by any stretch of the imagination. And yeah. And I'm not trying, I'm just not trying to imply this is women's fault. I'm trying to say that it's just pervasive. Basically like no one's immune to it just because you're a woman doesn't mean you're going to not perpetuate it or not fall victim to some of the same sexist, you know, tropes. You're playing in a man's world. You're playing by those rules (laughs) and, and then you're stuck to them. It's a man's world. I'm just living in it. And then the last thing Claire said that I thought was kind of interesting Uh, They said, you know, do you want to change the way your audience feels about love, survival, health, politics, literature, community, or hope? That's my bread and butter. Sometimes I wrote for people whose beliefs were diametrically opposed to my own. Those were not, they were not difficult to mimic. In fact, those pieces were the easiest because I could never confuse their voices for my own. So I thought that was really interesting because they spoke about um, not just writing for celebrities, but for politicians, both, I assume, on both sides Mm -hmm. of the aisle and it's not a hard thing to do. And I wonder if that's like a moral conundrum for people when you get into politics. Yeah. <laughs> I have this like kind of nerdy thought about it and debating and sharing, but now I'm going to do it because why <laughs> not, but, um, having played my role, uh, role playing game or two in the past, right. Your, your dungeons and dragons and the like, I, I do find that's true that like, it is often easier to embody a character that is nowhere congruent with your own like personal values and beliefs because it's just like, it's a fantasy at that point, right? Like it's, yeah, it's, it's so separate from you. Yeah. <laughs> you. You don't have to find, wait, am I the one? Am, am I thinking this or no, this is crazy evil person I'm playing. Right. And that, but in that setting, it's, a game it's fantasy it's not yeah. real right i think what you're just talking about that it would like that would be a total ethical kind of like yeah i have a very i mean maybe if you don't have strong moral values but like <laughs> if you do like i feel like on either side of that like you're gonna have some major concerns with trying to present someone's story and voice and and views in an intellectually honest way right <laughs> um like it, it's not just like the struggle to say like, Oh, this person's pro-life, this person's pro-choice. It's like to say in a way that matches what they actually believe like rather killing than killing the unborn. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> rather than in a, in a way that has kind of editorial authorship oversight of that, yeah. of that. Yeah. That'd be really hard. Yeah. Uh, so what I want to end on is a quote from Clarity Foster, just kind of tying it back to, you know, putting, putting on a story through the lens of somebody else. And I think it's really amplified by their experience as, you know, transitioning as trans transgender. And one thing throughout the article they wrote about is just how, when they presented as female, how they so frequently felt their words were not heard and what they said didn't matter. Um, but they felt really empowered when they had given that speech to their boss because it was a hit and they knew it wouldn't have been the same hit if they were delivering it because it's not who, it's not just the words you say, it's who says it, when, how, and there's more power when it's coming from a powerful person. And so the quote I want to end with, uh, from Clarity Foster is this, 
I may not be seen, but I am heard. The words that do not matter when I speak for myself are amplified when I put them in the mouths of others. Because as anyone knows, it's not just the words that matter. It's who says them and when and how. And with that, Jordan, I just want to say, you're a giant fucking nerd. The end. The end. And that's Celebrity Ghostwriters. Do you have an obscure subculture we should know about or just want to ask us a question? You can find us on Instagram at Subscurity Podcast. Our Twitter handle is at Subscurity Pod and our website is Subscurity.com. You can also email us directly at Subscurity at gmail.com. Our intro and outro music is the instrumental of We're Better Together by Go Mordecai. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week.